Testing. There we go. Yeah, now you look good. I mean, you look okay. I should shower. <laughs> All right, ready to do this? Go. Live from the Monday Drift thing. Monday Drift thing. <laughs> For the Mundangerous Think Tank in New York City, I'm your host Shane, and I'm your host Ishan, and welcome to episode 102 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're finishing our series on player profiles as we discuss tactician players. But first, the rogue traders face a gathering storm in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later, the showstopper ends fights before they begin in the Character Creation Forge. So once again, want to say thank you for everybody who is supporting us on Patreon. Uh, this is a very humbling experience to see uh, all of the support that you guys have showed for us on there. And we are working on the, the first tier of rewards for that. And we are hurtling toward the second tier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have a lot of irons in the fire very quickly <laughs> at, the, at the pace you guys are going. Uh, but thank you so much. Uh, I think last i checked we're at about 130 dollars on our way to the 200 dollars goal so that's that's amazing and a reminder the annotated history of brand Talandra parts one through three are still available on tribality thanks again to sean ellsworth for posting those and part four is currently on patreon that's for everyone uh not just uh, you patreon donors yeah you don't need to register or anything just follow the link in the show notes you can read that and also yesterday, part four of my Masks actual play in the Young Justice universe uh, went online uh, via the Whelmed podcast at CrashingTheMode.com. So check that out. And last announcement, uh, if you are going to be at Gen Con, uh, we will be there uh, as we are every year, starting from last year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and potentially ending at whatever point it becomes convenient for us uh but this year i will also be taking part in a podcasting panel hosted by the rpg academy it's a introduction to rpg podcasting how much did we have to pay them for that uh believe it or not nothing i was i was just like the backup backup date (laughs) (laughs) michael was like oh if i can't get anybody literally anybody else on the planet to join us at nine o'clock on a friday of gen con so, uh, yeah, so it's at 9 o'clock on Friday. It's called Introduction to RPG Podcasting, and there are still about 20 tickets available. Um, but it's a, it's listed under seminars if you do the Gen Con event search. So uh, sign up if you're interested or you just want to say hello. Yeah, and then afterwards you'll realize this is not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. We don't need the competition. Yeah, don't, don't make an RPG podcast, right? <laughs> All right, speaking of biting off more than you can chew... Where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, and our intrepid Rogue Traders are on the feudal world of Gauntlegrim, where they are in the midst of a supply recovery mission in the Gun Cutter, the Hostile Negotiator. Yeah, we've been forced into this at Bolter Point. Yeah, I mean... It was a little more polite than that, but yeah, basically. <laughs> but you know, we're already out here. We may as well complete the mission and not die. Right, right. So you've taken some light fire from uh, from orcs because you're deep behind uh, orcish lines. Uh, Gontogrim is sort of a planet at war uh, with a native orc population. They're losing the fight, and inside that drop pod, you are expecting to find lots of las guns, which will help the troops. 
Yeah, it's currently uh, winched up in our relatively small gun cutter. It is much bigger than we expected it would be. It is, yeah. You guys, <laughs> I don't know that your characters would have been surprised by this, but as players, you were like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, we didn't really think about 40K scale. Yeah, we kind of look like a hummingbird carrying a bowling ball. Yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> Two African swallows. <laughs> now, since we are so uh, unwieldy, it's difficult to fly with any kind of precision. And we are about one good hit away from exploding in midair. Yeah. So rather than crossing the orcish lines yet again, we decide we'll take our chances with the giant hurricane forming out to sea. Yep. So you head directly into the storm. You're yeah. like, you know what? I got a choice between orcs shooting at me or a storm that doesn't. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Shipwrecked? <laughs> There's an eye in there, right? An eye of the storm where it's calm. It's calm and nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's find that. So we attempted to. Uh, a few navigation checks later, and we definitely did not find it. In fact, I think we ended up quite off course. Yeah, you did. So uh, basically, I structured this encounter as a skill challenge, uh, drawing from the, the fourth edition model, uh, where the uh, the various members of the crew were either busy navigating or flying or attempting to keep the winch stable and uh, and do what you could to kind of keep this huge literally like you said bowling ball that you're carrying uh, from from dragging you either down or into a gust of wind or from completely you know ripping your hull apart we weren't doing too well no, actually, no, you uh, not. Trank was flying and doing a poor job of it because he's the backup flyer. That's true. <laughs> and this is a planet with really, really big storms. Yeah, everything. Well, it's it's the Warhammer 40k universe, right? So everything is a bit bigger and worse than it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, though, um, the, the way we kind of resolve the skill challenge is that uh, you all made skill checks and the Dark Heresy system has a concept of degrees of success or failure. Uh, and I basically totaled up all of your degrees of success or your degrees of failure and said, you know, that's it's going to be between zero and ten. Hopefully it's not negative. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there was a good chance. It would be really bad if it were negative. <laughs> um, but I, I'll just roll a d10. And, uh, and if I roll underneath your total number of degrees of success, great. You guys pass and, and you will survive the storm. And if I roll over it, something terrible is going to happen. And I don't know what that is yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just see what the role is. Uh, I think I think you guys ended up with like a net of three, something like that. Yeah, yeah, because we very nearly actually didn't have net successes. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and about halfway through, I explained to you how this was going to work, so that really ratcheted <laughs> up the tension. <laughs> you just started making checks to begin with, and I started totaling things, and then I was like, oh, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to make checks at things you're bad at. Right. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so I think you hit the number, you hit three on the on the dot. So if you had done even a little bit worse, you would have failed. Well, that's why we kept blowing fate points. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and eventually you did make it out of the storm. Um, I think you were blown pretty far south. Mm -hmm. So you ended up past your own lines and had to kind of double back. But that's a whole lot safer of a trip than it is to go through Orcish lines. Right. And yeah, eventually we sort of limped back into friendly territory and just dropped that tow cable and let the drop pod, you know, just plummet to the earth again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the last guns are strapped in there just fine. <laughs> it made the trip once. It can make the trip twice. Uh, you actually you actually found uh, sort of a nice crater, uh, like a mortar crater that was large enough. 
uh, would have been a pretty big mortar that was that was large enough for you to drop it in to kind of give yourself some tactical positioning on it uh, because now you're going to have to open the thing. And I guess we'll find out what was inside next week. So this week we're continuing our series on player personality types with the tactician. We are completing our series on player personality types. That's that's true. So what is the tactician, Ishan? Well, let's refer to Robin's Laws of Good Gaming, as we have in every iteration of this series. Good Game Mastering. Good Game Mastering? Yeah. It's a long-winded title. It is. You think I would know that by now? Yeah, only seven times we've done this. I don't like his title. <laughs> it's a bit purple. Do you want to re-record that, or you just want to leave it? No, no, let's leave it. Okay. All right, so the tactician, according to Robin, is probably a military buff who wants chances to think his way through complex, realistic problems, usually on the battlefield. This is the player who likes verisimilitude, who um, sometimes is yelling at you because it doesn't make sense in the game world. Uh, but they're also the player who likes to count the squares uh, to make sure that they're getting the maximum number of enemies inside the fireball. Uh, they're counting every little bonus and they're pointing out other people's bonuses as well. Yeah, they're probably into the like military history kind of thing. They're, they're probably coming from more of like a miniatures wargaming background. Or video games. Or video games, yeah. Um, but but I think what drives the tactician player is sort of the the puzzle aspect, right? the opportunity to figure out a complex problem and solve it, right? And if it can be realistic and and um, military-inspired, that's that all the much better. Right. All combats are winnable. Right. All problems are resolvable. Right. I think you and I have both uh, admitted that we have tactician tendencies. Yeah. So what are some of the benefits of having a tactician at your table? Well, as a GM, it lets you ramp up the difficulty of your encounters and and really pull out all the stops because you know that somebody is going to uh, look at it as a problem to be solved rather than looking at it as like, okay, well, I'll just I'll just hit it because like whatever, I, I'm not super engaged in combat. Yeah, this is one of those times when we talked about uh, in intercession communication, like when you throw out a problem to the entire group you can bet the the tacticians are going to step up and be like hold on all right i got some i got some answers yeah i got some ideas here <laughs> and then as a gm you can be like oh good okay i'm glad someone has answers right <laughs> <laughs> they're also probably going to interact with every little detail that you present to them every plot hook every you know unopened door uh, every lever yeah anything that can present like a tactical advantage is going to be pushed and pulled by a tactician player mm mm-hmm. mhm they also probably know the rules really well because they're what the tactician is using to decide the the best outcome for their character. Right. You know, it's kind of nice to have someone you can sort of point to and go, "Wait, what are the rules for on falling again?" Yep. Yeah, and I mean this this can easily like kind of fall into the rules lawyer trope, um, but that that's sort of a different problem player like archetype right (laughs) no one no one comes to the game table to be the rules lawyer like that that's not a thing right that's how i get my kicks yeah exactly (laughs) but there's good qualities to that from the tactician as well right it means you don't have to know every detail it means you have sort of a another informed opinion as you're trying to adjudicate rules and uh and and you also have somebody who's looking things up in the book for you and, and already knows those things. So it's just another resource at the table. Mm-hmm. Aside from the mechanics, tacticians can also really help enhance the story that you're trying to tell. 
uh, because they are focused on having that story be authentic or feel authentic to the players and to have it be immersive. Right. Yeah, that, that verisimilitude really comes into play here, you know, and, and it's not just a combat thing, right? It's not just, oh, well, if you push over the brazier, it doesn't do as much damage as a fireball. That doesn't make sense, right? Um, it's also things like political scheming or conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the ones who are going to, like, pull on those threads and then, like, follow them through to their logical conclusion and kind of build the possibilities of the world around that. Right. Even if it doesn't involve a mechanical bonus to, like, a skill check, they're the one who is going to want to investigate um, all of the different ways that they can get a story advantage. Yeah, yeah. So at our table, Jim, who played Kallik and and who plays Draco in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, uh, he does this all the time, right? Some social situation will come up and he'll go, wait, no, 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 that can't be what's happening because if, because if he had said this, then they would have meant this and this and this and there's no way that that guy would have put him in charge to do that. And I'm like, okay, scribble that out of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's plug in a new character behind him. (laughs) (laughs) The tacticians are often the one who will take the bait uh, when you're trying to lay out uh, the breadcrumbs for like a mystery. Oh, yeah. If if they think it's important, they're going to solve it. Right. Or they'll be the ones who notice, hold on, that that doesn't make sense. These two things don't work together. And then rather than as a GM, you saying, oh, yeah, whoops, one was wrong. It's, yeah, that does seem out of place, doesn't it? You must be missing something else, aren't you? Huh. Of course, we can admit that sometimes tacticians can be a problem at the table. Yeah, like like any player archetype. I think one issue that can come up with tacticians is pace of play. Um, because they're kind of solving puzzles and looking for all those little advantages and, and trying to make perfect decisions, um, they can really slow down the game as they're looking for perfect information, right? Um, they might know most of the rules, but they also might insist on looking up rules. Um, they also might try and and figure out every possible scenario to weigh which one is best for them when in reality you're talking about very slight margins of improvement yeah analysis paralysis yeah being uh being analytical does not also mean you're decisive (laughs) is the challenge (laughs) (laughs) yeah sometimes the tactician is looking for the best outcome right not just the one that will be effective right so it's a 10 second combat but it takes them 10 minutes of planning unless they're actually getting prodded along by the GM or other players. Yeah, and for me, um, often that will ruin my immersion in the game, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I'm okay with it to a certain point, and then and then after that point, I go, okay, I'm going to look at my phone now, and you just let me know when we're going to start playing this game again. Right, or just like, you know, just roll a die. Roll a die, and that's what you decide to do. Yeah, exactly. Can we Can we gamify this in some way? Because I am bored. Yeah. It's also sometimes tough when you've got a tactician who is there ready to call you as a GM on any errors you might be making or any fudging that you might be doing. If you make a tactical error, they're probably going to be the one to point it out. It raises the stakes when you're playing intelligent enemies. Your whole margin for error is reduced when you've got somebody who's going to notice that level of detail. This can be a challenge, I think, if you aren't a GM who plans tactically, right? Like, uh, like for me, I don't typically set up my combat encounters in my head beforehand as to like where the enemies are going to be laid out and what area I'm going to make sure that the PCs start in and how are they going to interact in that first couple rounds and like what's their approach right typically I grab the book I find the monsters that make thematic sense and I write them down 
And then when it comes time for combat, like when it's the monster's turn, I'm like, all right, what do these guys do? Okay, great. They're going to do this thing, right? Um, that often leads to bad tactical decisions for me um, just because like I haven't quite prepared at the level of detail that a tac- tactician player might expect. And that can telegraph to that player, well, we're dealing with idiots. Right. <laughs> no, I said he's a military genius. Right. <laughs> well, he's not in his prime anymore, is he? <laughs> you can also get the tactician doing the same thing to other players. They're quarterbacking uh, the actions of other PCs, you know, um, sort of yelling at them. No, don't move there. Like move five feet to the left and flank. What are you doing? Yeah. Or, or you get that complicated thing where they're looking like, if you do this thing and then she does that thing and then I do this thing, we win the fight. And it's like, okay, but you just took three turns. Yeah. <laughs> and like now two <laughs> players aren't getting to play their character at all. So, but it's the right way to do this. Right. Exactly. Problem tactician players often put like right and wrong uh, on, on their decisions. Right. As opposed to attempting to facilitate cooperative gameplay. Right. All right. So if you've got a tactician at your table, what are uh, some best practices? Use everything at your disposal. Take advantage to plumb the depths of the bestiary. You know, like grab the most obscure and difficult monsters you can find and put those on the table. Yeah, because like we said earlier, even if you don't necessarily have a path in mind for the party's success, the tactician is likely one of the ones who's going to figure one out or at least have something up their sleeve. Mm -hmm. You can also make sure that you're adding terrain or environmental effects to the battlefield. This is something you should be doing anyway, just to, you know, add verisimilitude. Uh, It helps with world building, but it also gives all of your players more to interact with. Uh, even the ones who may not enjoy combat as much, it might be more interesting to them if, you know, a fire is spreading over here or like there's a waterfall over here. Yeah, like the uh, the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan is a whole lot less interesting <laughs> if it's not taking place on a lava flow. <laughs> like one of them has the high ground, the other dies. <laughs> like not that fun. Put it in lava and all of a sudden that's a pretty interesting fight. <laughs> Actually, but not on a lava planet. Then Obi-Wan has to kill Anakin because he's not on fire. Well, that's true. Things would have been different. You mean better? They would have been better? (laughs) (laughs) I guess I could leave him alive and let him commit multiple genocides. Right. Yeah. It's going to weigh heavily. (laughs) Uh, You can also take this opportunity to scale up your encounters. Um, You don't want to go too far afield from, you know, what's recommended in the book. But knowing that you've got a player who's going to to use everything to their advantage, you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, putting the kick gloves on. You can you can really ramp up the difficulties as far as you can push it. Yeah. And sometimes it's it's really fun to use like dumb, big monsters, throw them out there, um, hand the, the party like a bag of tools you know, terrain effects, magic items, whatever, and mm-hmm. just sort of let them have at it and figure out what they're going to come up with to to handle this horde. Yeah. Uh, you can also do the same thing with, um, speaking of bag, bag of tools, let them determine their terrain, right? Uh, let, the, let the tactician draw the terrain that they want to have this fight on so that they can give themselves all the advantages that they're they're thinking they would need. The problem is when you have a tactician who is also a storyteller, <clears throat> Shane, 
uh, who is told to draw the battlefield and then decides, well, I'm going to put lava everywhere. You know, that was great in Star Wars. How about lava? <laughs> Wait, the lava More lava. Out, the lava... Okay, this is, he's talking about a Dark Sun game. <laughs> we were fighting in the arena of Tyr. <laughs> and also, we used the lava to our advantage multiple times. The lava came in handy. You, however, could have run directly into the lava. You were very lucky that you didn't run directly into the lava. Oh, I would have been fine fire resistance on fire <laughs> i have fire resistance <laughs> Dude, but you can still drown in the lava i'm a fire genasi it's fine i would have made you drown in the lava yeah well you're a jerk <laughs> that's why you put fire everywhere you're like i'll be fine yeah that is exactly why i put fire everywhere <laughs> so i made it i made it a ruined uh, a ruined temple uh and it was surrounded by a moat of lava i think we got the pictures on instagram actually yeah all right but yes you can set some limits on the planning that the party can do. Uh, I think one of the easiest is, is time limits, like real world time limits. Okay, you've got five minutes to draw this map, go. Yep. Um, another thing is, as a GM, get more comfortable with just adjudicating those edge cases that come up, right? Rather than trying to refer to the rule book every time, kind of work on your confidence in your understanding of the rules and then also your confidence in delivering your rulings mm-hmm. um, and just shut down dissent and move on, right? Um, I think that can keep things moving quickly. Maybe work on your competence. Yeah, oh, yeah, nice. Oh. And then when you've made those rulings, stick to it. You know, like part of the verisimilitude is uh, having a world that makes consistent sense. Mm-hmm. That goes for the information that's available for planning as well, right? So I think tacticians can get caught in the pursuit of perfect information to make the perfect decision. And at a certain point, you just have to be like, look, dude, it's a six-second round. (laughs) You know, like, you're not going to get any more information this round. Make a choice. When you're building these encounters, whether they're social encounters, um, exploration, or combat... You do want to plan ahead as much as you like feasibly can when you're dealing with these kinds of players. Uh, you might even want to be writing some stuff down on note cards or even have like a, a playbook of what uh, the enemies are going to do in certain circumstances. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's probably especially true for like a boss fight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and especially the longer you've played with the players, you kind of know what their techniques are, right? Like which abilities they like to combo together and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things Um, come up. If you can put together a playbook of how to respond to those within the monsters abilities, you can save yourself some time and also give yourself unlimited chance to plan uh, how you're going to handle your side tactically rather than trying to figure it out in the moment. Of course, if you really want to challenge your tactician players, throw in a bit of randomness because they will be very good at predicting what you will do as a GM or what the monsters will do based on their personalities or the terrain. But if the floor of the arena changes at random or there's a random unstable magic or weather effect that occurs at the end of every round, that's something that the tactician can't plan for and Mm -hmm. can't anticipate. Yeah, yeah. Not being able to know is like the bane of all that planning, right? Like... Like, if there's no way to find out what's going to happen next round, you can't plan for it until it happens. Uh, and so that can that can really help and also be a, an interesting challenge for the tactician as well. Yeah, it puts them out of their comfort zone, which really, like, is part of the fun of the game. Right. Uh, also, uh, I like this one. 
uh, malicious random number generated AIs. <laughs> if, if you're in a more modern game, <laughs> like like blockchain this, but also it hates you. <laughs> I, lo- I no no no. Hang on, I love this. I let's explore this. I want to. I have no interest in running uh, Shadowrun, but also, what if Shadowrun the the big bad is actually like evil blockchain? Like cryptocurrencies are eating the world. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's more an Eclipse phase game. <laughs> it's all the same. It's true. It's, it's all the same. Uh, no, I like that because uh, you've got the randomness, which can frustrate the tactician. But at the same time, sometimes the AI, which has a personality, is making a tactically poor decision in the moment because it's random. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, And the only way to shut it down would be to like turn off every computer with access to the mining, right? <laughs> It'd be amazing. And if the tactician comes up with it, maybe run with it. Yeah, good luck. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's an opportunity for them to feel clever. Right. Because that's really what the tactician wants, right? They want to be able to find a good or a perfect solution to the problem that is presented to them. And in the long run, like from a macro perspective, that's kind of what you want out of the, a combat too. Or you want the party to be able to solve it, albeit with quite a bit of challenges. Yeah, I mean, as the GM, you're always slated to lose right like your side loses 99 percent of the time and the one percent ends your campaign so then you lose (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, learn to enjoy creating difficult puzzles that do get solved right like when will shorts makes a crossword puzzle for the new york times he fails if no one can solve it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, ha, 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 I made the world's most difficult crossword puzzle and all of you suck. No, that's, a, that's a bad puzzle, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then keep in mind, there are there are times when a tactician player might actually just out-scheme you. Um, he, he might be able to circumvent a fight or, or you know end the fight immediately. He might have some way to just win. Um, if that happens on occasion, that can actually be great, right? Like, it's okay to, to throw the tactician a bone and say, yeah, you beat me this time. You know, like, that should have been a huge boss fight, and you totally circumvented it. And, hey, you know what? Like, there's still another big bat out there. It's not the end of the world. Uh, but it's okay to sometimes just win a combat or win an encounter through wit instead of force. Yeah, that's a common trope in lots of, um, like, fantasy stories or... Isn't that like basically Batman's special ability? <laughs> <laughs> Is Deus Ex out of my ass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or even like um, fairy tales. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you have the, the person who cannot possibly beat this giant. Right. Um, but I want a, a game of words. Yeah, yeah. It's a. I mean, it's the Trojan horse, right? <laughs> like it's it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, that was so sneaky. I mean, you had some deific input to sort of like silence the naysayers. Right. Right. <laughs> Wait, this could be hollow. Mm, nope, <laughs> you and your family are getting eaten by snakes. Shut up. <laughs> uh, but keep in mind, if you if it's a combat encounter that the tactician is is circumventing, that's going to kind of come into conflict with the butt kicker, mm-hmm. since oftentimes that's what the butt kicker is here for. So, you know, it's fine once in a while, but also keep in mind that that's a loss for the butt kicker. Yeah. So maybe sometimes what happens is the combat becomes much easier or a much smaller scale right so you've still won but the butt kicker at least gets like two rounds of like beating things up right they're not the butt kicker isn't necessarily going to notice like 
oh, this is way easier. They're just going to still roll their big numbers yep, and be happy. Still got my dice. Yeah. <laughs> I still critted it. Yep. Yes, you did. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what if you are a tactician player? Uh, for me, I think it all starts with character design. So play characters who have abilities that match what you like to do at the table. So mm-hmm. take knowledge skills or logic or tactics or you know whatever your game system gives you um, that lets you make your character act like you want to act. Great, do it. Yeah, whatever challenges you. Like I sometimes wouldn't play uh, ninth level spellcasters in three point five because it was just kind of too easy. Yeah, like I always had an answer to the problem, and there actually wasn't much tactical thinking. It was just oh, I look through my spellbook and find you know whatever I need to fix this. Yeah, I some I would never play ninth level spellcasters in three point five because the games would fall apart far before we <laughs> got that high because spellcasters were doing shenanigans. And also, I had a hard time pulling back, being right. like, "But I mean, I can do this, so I should be doing this, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what kind of dumb wizard doesn't use this spell, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, if you could be a diplomancer, why would you not be a diplomancer? I don't understand. <laughs> Persistent divine metamagic, duh. <laughs> uh, on a less hazardous to your game note. There are, there are also lots of games have abilities where you can grant buffs or advantages or abilities to other characters um, that let them do the thing that you want them to do, right? So I think those are good archetypal abilities to look for as you build your character. So um, in 5th edition, the Battlemaster Fighter right, is all built around using tactical things to your advantage. Commander Strike lets another character attack. So it's like cool like you need to hit that thing now so i'm going to force you to do it with my ability yeah probably a much better option than the champion fighter where you just crit on better numbers right yeah no decision making there at all yeah leave that for the butt kicker (laughs) you you play the more cerebral character we've mentioned this before but uh fourth edition actually did a really good job of this because they had the uh, role called the leader who specifically was supposed to be a support character, but you could play a character like whose personality in game matched with their abilities, which was yell at people to do things and then make them better at doing the thing you're yelling at them about. Hey, get up and gain 10 HP. And then no one could get mad at you because like they were doing so much better or you were giving them bonuses to attack. Right. I think that's why so many people really loved the Warlord or the Warlord archetype from 4th edition because that was their shtick. It was, I yell at you, I might even punch you a little bit right. like in the arm and like throw you into the fight. But like you get a plus 2 to hit and a plus 5 to damage. Yeah, you're like the, uh, the cut man in the boxing corner. You're like, oh no, you're fine, man. <laughs> Spit, slap, right. get yeah. back in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the mob has a lot of money on you. You better last till the ninth round. <laughs> and I really liked it because you could do these small, almost sort of nitpicky things when you were playing that character. Like, no, 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 move five feet to the left and flank mm-hmm. because the grizzled war veteran is doing that. Yeah, and, and I think to take it out of fourth edition and just more broadly, right, play those types of support or control roles where you'd sit in the back line, you'd kind of survey the battlefield, you'd, you'd survey everything that's going on and then try and make the best decision um, to aid the, the frontline fighters who are too in the middle and too in the thick of it to really have that perspective. Yeah, well, I think one of the drawbacks of like um, previous editions of Shadowrun is if you are the hacker, you're sitting in the van. Yeah, right? the decker. Yeah, Ugh. but that's actually kind of a good place to be if you're the tactician. 
because you can see everything that's going on and your job is to tell other people what to do. Right, yeah. And then as a GM, you have to find ways to give that tactician Decker ways to interact in the fight, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a defense system that he can hack and reprogram, you know, like the, that kind of thing. <laughs> Let him plug into that power plug and then hack the grid. What? I don't know. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag smart grid. Yeah, when you are uh, approaching the game itself, try not to think of it like a chess match where you are moving all of the pieces. You want to think of it more like you are one of the pieces uh, who is part of a large army. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but not controlling the large army. Mm -hmm. And then also keep in mind, your information is not going to be perfect. um, And the mistakes that you make, right, the, the sacrifices are potential for role playing right so so every time that uh you know you have to sacrifice a pawn on the front lines right whether that's an npc or hopefully not one of your party members but you know every time that you have to make a tough decision right and bad things happen or every time you make a mistake that that can be an emotional kick for your character Mm -hmm. right and that, that can bring you into more of the role playing and out of just the straight tactical puzzle solving I also think it's an opportunity for that sort of crowning moment when the tactician character realizes, uh oh, like the best option, the thing that has the best chance of success is sacrificing me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is what's going to work. I, I have to die now. Yeah. And I feel like a really good tactician, like they are going to be okay with that. You know, this is the right decision. Yeah, this is Bruce Willis at the end of Armageddon. <laughs> really? What, what's best for everybody involved is for <laughs> me to stay on this asteroid <laughs> and finish the drill. Yes, he was definitely the tactician in that movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. Mm. All right, maybe not. <laughs> he could have been played by a tactician player, though. Oh, very true. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. At the table, everyone is going to know that you are tactically minded. You know, you're going to have a lot of advice that sometimes you can't help but blurt out. Yeah. Uh, And at times people will turn to you and ask for it. And at those times, feel free to give it. And, you know, you can be as specific as you want to be. But when you're giving advice unsolicited, try to be nice about it and, you know, keep it to the amount that other people seem to actually want from you. Yeah, I, I always like to ask, you know, like usually it's like when when somebody is looking at it and digging through their sheet and, and seems to not be sure what to do. I always prefer to be like, hey, you look a little lost. Can I give you some advice or I, or I have an idea that you might want to consider, right? Something like that rather than being like, oh, no, just do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, to some degree, that's just a slightly softer touch <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the same net effect. But Um, I think it helps prevent that quarterbacking problem that we talked about earlier. Yeah, the information is still being delivered. It's just uh, people feel like they're making a decision. And so one good thing to do is present a few different options. You Mm -hmm. know, not do this, but you could do this or this or this. And you're really still narrowing down uh, the options and therefore the confusion for someone who has no idea what they should be doing. Right. Yeah, I, I would just make sure that as you do that, right, you're not kind of seeding the choice right so like sometimes if you're staring at a blank canvas right it could be anything and and that's intimidating for some people but if you start to draw on it then people start putting their options in boxes 
right? So they might only consider what you've suggested rather than some third option that would be better in character. Yeah, and even if they come up with a different idea, they might be too polite or they might feel bad wholly rejecting your advice. Right, right. So a, a light touch at all times, I think, is important whenever you're trying to dictate what other players are doing. Unless you're the warlord. Right, in which case a very heavy touch <laughs> and preferably some extra dice in the process. Sometimes yell at them even when uh, they're doing the right thing because your character and you as a player aren't perfect. Right. <laughs> You're going to make mistakes. Other players are going to make mistakes. The GM is going to make mistakes. And that might mean that bad things happen to you or to NPCs or to the party. And that's okay. Yeah, you've got to accept that sometimes bad things are going to happen to you because other people screw up. And that's just that's just life, you know? I mean, it's, uh, it's still just a game. Um, I think that was a big, for me, growing up, as like an RPG player and not being just a stupid teenager, like a selfish teenager uh, was when I stopped thinking through the excuse of like, well, my character would never hang out with a bunch of bumbling idiots. So you can't do that. Right. And, and like, this just doesn't build a party. (laughs) Like it just gave me an excuse to dictate what other people were doing. Yeah. The rest of the party in the GM shouldn't be the ones who are coaxing your character into staying with the party. You need to present the reason why you are staying. Right. Uh, the, the ultimatum to just leave the group is not really like, not a functional way of approaching a game with four or five other people. Yeah. Tactician Lone Wolf does not make a fun PC. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the takeaway there is sometimes you get screwed. Sometimes things fall and and your head is on the chopping block. You know, like it happens. So Shane, how do you like playing with tacticians at the table? I prefer them in pairs. Oh, yeah, they can play off each other. They play off each other mm-hmm. in their own little world and it's just fine. <laughs> and I think that's actually what we end up doing a lot at, at the table is we start considering options between the two of us and other people are taking their turns while we're busy in our own rabbit hole. And then if one of us is running the game, it's the other of us in gym. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's the trifecta. <laughs> uh, but th- I think that's that's our outlet as tacticians is each other often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, you know, the other players in our group might make tactically unfavorable decisions. And we, we just kind of look at each other and recognize it. And we're like, that was unoptimized by D6 damage. But that's fine. You know what? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they look at us and know they're making a poor tactical decision, but they're doing it in character. Yeah, and then we're just like, you got us. <laughs> yeah, no, you you would do that. Ooh, okay, here we go. Why do we hang out with this group? <laughs> <laughs> well, then sometimes I it is nice to have people sort of remind me like, oh, right, my character is not, like not every character I play is a tactician in the game. Right. Right. And so to be like, all right, they wouldn't necessarily know. They probably would just charge. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here we go. Let's charge. See what happens. There was a there was no reminder of that for me worse than in the Morning Glory campaign when uh I think it wasn't the Banshee. It might have I can't remember what it was. Some some enemy that you had put out uh had mind controlled brand mm. and turned him against the party for that encounter. And I was just like so I have to do what Brand would do. Because <laughs> like, you know Brand is paranoid and like <laughs> has an out, right? <laughs> like, 
he, he has a way to kill everybody in this group. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> that lasted like a round. <laughs> yeah, very quickly it was uh, make brand. that stop. Yeah, yeah fixed brand. <laughs> I always like mind control because all of you build good characters right uh i mean dominate the paladin yeah what do you do oh we get oh right, fifth so, level smite right <laughs> <laughs> please make it stop right <laughs> so gms use your technician as a resource yeah he's the, the <laughs> ultimate enemy <laughs> and other players use them as a resource as well sometimes if you don't want to make the decision they will for you mm-hmm. do you hear that Ishan? that is a fifth level smite well, then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. Yeah, you can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters, at TotalPartyThrill, at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web, at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Showstopper. The Showstopper. So this is a build for a tactician to play. And that is whether they're playing with a party that cares about tactics, or even more so when you're playing with one that doesn't care about tactics. Right. And I know sometimes that's frustrating, but this is a build where you can shape the battlefield um as you will at the beginning and you can play tactically and then allow others uh, to play tactically as well or even if they ignore it they're still going to get a benefit out of what you've done to the combat yeah you're you're basically your move is to go first and then either end the biggest threat on the table or shape the battlefield in such a way that you have an insurmountable tactical advantage right that that your party will benefit so much from it that you can win the fight easily. Sorry, GMs. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only real loser here. <laughs> sometimes, though, sometimes it's fun. Right. <laughs> I'll just put uh, one extra big bad guy on the table because exactly. I know one will be taken out. Oh, two Asmodeuses. Weird. <laughs> he cast Twinned Asmodeus. <laughs> Quickened Twinned Asmodeus. Right. <laughs> you fought one god, but have you fought two? <laughs> So what's the build? Lorebard 16, Fighter 2, Warlock 2. And I think the only feat that is required here is the alert feat, which gives you a plus 5 to your initiative check. So human works out really well. And then from Bard, we're going to get four expertises, which is always good. But I think what we're really looking for here is Jack of all trades, Mm -hmm. which gives you uh, at 20th level will give you a plus three to initiative. You add half of your proficiency bonus to all ability checks that don't already add your proficiency bonus. Right. Including initiative. And also death saves, as it were. (laughs) Your Bardic die at that level will be a D12, uh, and you'll have cutting words which is always handy and fun to have but at level 14 you're getting peerless skill which lets you use one of those bardic dice to add to an ability check that you make including your initiative right of course as a 16th level bard you get 8th level spells wait 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 wait. we don't even get 9th level spells we don't get 9th level spells because if you take a look at the 9th level spells I mean there's wish okay but that is really more of a 
story ender. Yeah. Uh, but most of the other ninth level spells aren't really good at changing like terrain or like taking out one big foe. Right. Like if you look at like power word kill, for example, it needs to be within like under 100 hit points, which isn't something that you want to do first round of combat. Right. That's a finisher, not a starter. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So all of that in, you should end up with plus 12 or 13 initiative and the option to add a d12 if you need it. Yeah. On top of your normal d20 roll. So you'll be going first. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't actually max initiative that you can get in the game, but... After that, it was actually overkill. Yeah, it's like you don't <laughs> going on twenty eight is no advantage if everybody else is going on twenty two, right? You know, like or going on thirty six is no advantage. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to come up on any enemies that have plus six to initiative, so you're already double their their bonus. I mean, if you do run away, but yeah, you're a tactician. Yeah. Live to fight another day. <laughs> As a fighter, I mean, we got two dip classes here, right? So as a fighter, you're actually just going for action surge, which means you can cast two, kind of two spells in the first round of combat. Indeed. And Warlock is going to get you, you want Agonizing Blast and Repelling Blast as your two invocations because Repelling Blast is one of the uh, most reliable ways to cause forced movement. Yep. Uh, There's no size restriction. You hit... You move it 10 feet, and you can do it up to four times. Right. So what are some of our tactician moves, if you will? What what spell combos are we looking to use with our action surge uh, double spell? Yeah, it almost always is spell combos because you're going first, and then you have two actions with which you're casting two spells. We're not actually using Quicken from Sorcerer because that runs into that weird like you have to cast a cantrip if you cast a bonus action spell issue so action surge is really the only way to cast two full spells Uh, a nice one that i like uh we looked this up it's wall of fire so you're casting a wall of fire that sort of snakes back around on itself yeah so you cast it on an enemy or multiple enemies Mm -hmm. uh, and then they take the initial damage from being in the wall of fire right you do a long line that snakes around behind them and then your next action is to drop a repelling blast and, and push them into it <laughs> <laughs> and according to the wording they take it again because this is the first time they have entered the wall of fire space and, and i think even worse than that they get a save when you cast wall of fire right mm-hmm. so they, they can take half damage for a deck save i believe but when you repelling blast them they don't get a save for entering it. They mm-hmm. just take the damage. So you get a very nice, reliable source of damage. Yeah, and I like that you can... Repelling Blast 1, right? You point at it. If it hits it, you push it. You can actually then move it to someone else and push them as well. Right. Because you can't get the wall of fire damage more than two times right. on a, a particular creature. And of course, if you miss, well, you just... Okay, second one. Yep. Okay, I push you. And now I move on to the next one. Right, right. I really love being able to drop a first-round hypnotic pattern... That's a spell I think that, well, some people think it's either terrible, other people think it's super overpowered. I think it's right in the sweet spot. So there's an initial save with Hypnotic Pattern. Uh, And if you fail it, you are incapacitated, which means no actions and no reactions. Mm -hmm. But there's no additional save on Hypnotic Pattern, right? You concentrate on it, and for the rest of the time, as long as someone isn't using their action to wake this person up, they're just stuck there as long as they're not taking any damage. It's essentially like a sleep. Right. So then everyone else just lines up around one person 
who is currently incapacitated, you all attack at the same time you take them out. Then you move on to the next one. And then the next one. (laughs) Now, hypnotic pattern is a fairly small area. But remember, you have repelling blast. Right. (laughs) And I love that your first thing is to actually carefully like stalk around and like triangulate where you want to be and then just start throwing out eldritch blasts that knock people into a small little area right and then be like and eh, now you are all in my area of effect <laughs> which also works great for you know fireball oh <laughs> uh, man <laughs> <laughs> spread out spread out so they can't get us um you move here you move here you move here fireball right um, but then hold person or hold monster, whichever one applies to your target, mm-hmm. uh, is, is just a great leverage spell. Um, so anything you do at that point will have advantage or will grant advantage. It's great if you have a rogue doing sneak attack or um, any of the crit fisher type classes. Yeah, hold person and hold monster causes paralysis, which, like you said, grants advantage. But any attack is an auto crit. Yeah. So you can do a couple things, right? You And remember, they both they scale. Right, So you can cast them at higher levels in order to affect more creatures. Right, So you can just attempt to hold an entire group of creatures and then you drop the fireball because they automatically fail strength and dexterity saving throws. Yep. Or you just leave them there and let your paladin or your rogue casually saunter up to them and stab them in the eye. Right. Those are the kinds of combos I like to uh, keep in mind when you're playing this kind of character. Because there's the possibility of outshining everyone else in the party. But you don't want to do that. You want to set up the rest of your party for success so right. that they're happy that you're going first. Yep. You know, if the first thing that you do at the beginning of every combat is hold monster, every rogue will love you. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be totally on board with that uh, five-minute workday. Right? <laughs> uh, you can also throw out a lot of different uh, terrain spells. Uh, a lot of the cloud spells are good too mm-hmm. uh, to give your give yourselves an advantage if you need obscure uh, to obscure line of sight those types of things. I like things like um, first round delayed blast fireball, second round teleport. Yeah, <laughs> just here's a present. We're leaving. Bye. <laughs> All right. So Shane, tell us about your showstopper. So my showstopper is. A lore bard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but not just in class, in function. Uh, he's he's actually a historian, sort of a Sun Tzu type character who studies the art of warfare, who studies the art of magical interaction with the field of battle, right? Because mm-hmm. the majority of battles are fought with sword and board or fought with you know uh, pikes and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Magic doesn't get studied as much because, you know, mages are very um particular about their craft so he studies it and then learns to replicate it right he uses his magical secrets to find the most powerful ways to uh tilt the battle in his favor and so as a as a historian he sort of belongs uh wandering almost like a mercenary type figure uh around multiple courts and generals and armies and those types of things right that's that's what he that's his calling right is he he gets brought in to win the war Oh, okay. Right. He's he's a finishing move. He yeah, he is. He's like um <laughs> he's like the specialist that you hire when you really need to win an election, you know? Like, like <laughs> he's the dirty tricks guy. Exactly, yeah. Like 
He's like, oh, if you can get him on your side, you got this. <laughs> I don't know. Have you thought about turning the entire battlefield into mud? That should stop the cavalry. Right. Duh. <laughs> uh, but but as part of that, right, in order to kind of hone his craft, he has to travel the world. He has to uh, hear rumors. He has to kind of gather these tales of what great magics have been used and how they've been used in the past because he's not a creative type he's just a guy with a big playbook oh i like that yeah okay because he's not high intelligence right he's he's Mm -hmm. charming this has been done before but i do it better right (laughs) (laughs) or i mean he could even be more bookish right he's like oh yes in the goblin king's last crusade there was a the battle that was won with uh two mages with a combined earthquake and whatever like and they just pushed their enemies off of into a chasm and then closed it up behind them i like to imagine uh, it like an anime where you're shouting the moves but he's shouting the battles right <laughs> <laughs> followed up by an argent ford right <laughs> <laughs> all right how about your showstopper my showstopper puts the show in showstopper because she is uh, a magician like a stage magician oh okay um has always enjoyed being in front of crowds and sort of dazzling people with uh, her wit and with her spells. But she takes this show on the road as she's, you know, pursuing whatever great destiny she has. You know, I certainly there's more uh, to life than being on rickety wooden stages at a circus. Right. And her personality shines through in the battle, right? Like she goes first. Uh, the battle begins and she steps forward in front of everyone else and then is like hold on watch this watch this this is gonna be cool (laughs) i think actually she she tries not to do the same opening combo more than once or at least certainly not more than once every like few months right you know like okay this is the most effective here but wait this one is gonna look really cool yeah yeah she doesn't (laughs) want to lean on any one one trick i think i basically built zatanna actually (laughs) Yes. Oh, I thought you you built uh, David Blaine. Mm. Oh, except more effective. So I guess it's more like David Copperfield. <laughs> right. Spell one, I encase myself in ice. Yeah. <laughs> Spell two. Just uh, stay there, actually. That'd be right. fine. <laughs> We're all happier without you. I hover a foot off the ground. <laughs> no, that's Chris Angel. That's Mind Freak. That's, it's, isn't that where David Blaine got it from? I don't know. Who cares? They both suck. David Copperfield, pass wall. Yeah. Uh, and I guess we're done. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to become one of our Patreon supporters. Visit patreon.com slash totalpartythrill to get access to extra content, TPT merchandise, and some dubious rewards. So if you feel like you can spare like an extra $5 a month, please consider giving it to Map International, which distributes medical supplies to impoverished people in 115 different countries. But after that... Uh, if you still have $5 extra a month to give, <laughs> maybe you can support us. And that's what makes it possible for us to keep doing the show every week. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you do, we'll read it on the air like we're about to do right now. This is a great 5e podcast for DMs and PCs by Mr. Remag. As the only listener to have actually played 5e, even before listening to the podcast, I got into total party thrill for the character Creation Forge and their amazing grappler build but I've come to love Eberron and greatly value the advice of the hosts. As a bit of a power gamer, um, I mean optimizer, I am expanding my own characters to do more than massive damage and aid the party. 
I also got to be a DM for the first time yesterday, and binge listening to close to 60 episodes of Total Party Thrill helped a lot as I was running the Horde of the Dragon Queen module, and my party went to investigate, uh, raid, the mill before going to the keep. But I rolled with it, pun intended, and had a lot of fun, especially when the PCs walked into a trap. 5d20s plus 3 out of 5. I, I like this recurring theme now, uh, from our early reviews to now our later reviews. It's like, it started with the early ones being like people who don't play D&D and haven't played 5th edition, but still like our show. And then it was everybody like, wait, wait, wait no, hang on. I play D&D. Like, I'll review. I also play D&D. It's yeah. not no D&D players around here. I'm only here for the Forge. Right. In fact. <laughs> <laughs> I like the competing camps amongst our listeners. Yeah. But thank you, Mr. Remack, for the five-star review. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about leveling up, both at the table and in-game. And in the character creation forge, we're building Iron Face. Well, that's it for episode 102 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Did I read that right? With the right inflection? I actually don't know what that means. Uh, I think that's three critical misses plus three. Wait, what? That's that's six out of five, though, right? Yeah, we'll just go with it. Why don't you read that again? <laughs> just with a different inflection, we'll figure out which one's right. Five d twenties plus three out of five. Five d twenties plus three out of five. So what's that? An average of ten and a half times three is. 31.5 plus 3 is Are these getting added together? 33.5 no out of 5? <laughs> That's our highest rating yet. <laughs>